welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, for the longest time, we have been trying to articulate how God and Jesus look down at us as a relationship. And I've been really given a lot of thought about that lately. And one of the thoughts that had come to me is just thinking about other relationships in our lives, which is how you've advised us to do this. You know, the best parts about relationships are getting to know each other and, and helping each other out. So you look at even the most basic, least emotionally involved type of relationship, which is a buyer-seller relationship. You know, I'm going and I'm buying a candy bar from the gas station or whatever. There's a, I'm giving them money, they're giving me a candy bar. So there's a, there's a give there. And then as, as you grow into more meaningful relationships, there's, there's elements of, of, of sacrifice. You know, I'll, I'll do this for you and not expect anything in return. But inevitably, both sides want to give something to enrich the relationship. So basically trying to articulate my question here is, you know, Jesus outpoured himself literally by dying and giving everything that he possibly could for us. And essentially my question is, is what can we do to give something for him? And I know that's probably really basic in the third grade question, but on the other hand, it's something that is probably one of these obvious questions that I have missed as I found out more and more recording this cast over, over time. So I wanted to start there and, and, and just see where it goes from there. Yeah, beautiful. And I, I liked your reflections on relationships. It's nice to hear how you're taking those things in and praying with them, processing them. And, and hopefully that's a nice uh, example for our listeners too, that yeah, these are, these are points that uh, can be said. Hopefully they should be recognized as true and stir some thoughtfulness about them. But then we've got to actually work with them, think about them pray about them, meditate on them. We can use different ways of saying that. But, you know, if we don't take these things in and try them out, try them on and and wear them around for a while and see how it fits together. And then the kinds of uh, objections or questions you come back with are much richer because of that. That's how we really make progress in uh, understanding uh, life and certainly what God has revealed to us and understanding ourselves. And so, so thanks for taking those things in and, and reflecting on them. And in terms of uh, relationships, uh, I like also your reflection on different kinds of relationships, a buyer-seller uh, relationship. I know for myself, kind of thinking about the process you've been through, I was really affected by reading St. John Paul's book written before he was Pope called Love and Responsibility. And one of the things he establishes is what he calls the personalistic norm. And simply said, I'm not a philosopher, and hopefully our philosopher listeners will will forgive me if I oversimplify or, or state this in the wrong way. But the personalistic norm says, basically, you can never use a person as a means to an end. So a person is always an end in and of themselves. And so it made me think about that kind of relationship like you described, a buyer-seller, you know, or if I go to a supermarket, I'm not even 
buying a good from the cashier. I'm buying it from the supermarket. The cashier is just serving a purpose, checking me out. It's one of the reasons cashiers have been replaced with machines in a lot of places. You don't need to be a person to be a cashier. But do I treat the cashier who is a person like a person? Or do I treat the, per the cashier like a machine? And that would be a violation of the personalistic norm if I treat the person like a machine and don't acknowledge the personhood of that cashier, for example. It's you know a very, very simple relationship, but it's a personal relationship because that's a person who's there. And however much I may not know that person, I know something about them because they're a human being. And, and I know what it, what it means to be a human being because I am one. And we have experiences and struggles and good times and bad times and good days and bad days. And you know that person is along that spectrum somewhere. And that person will always benefit from being loved, appreciated, respected, and treated like a human being, like a person. So anyway, just a, a little reflection on how we treat persons and that there is a minimum standard which is not even uh, being whatever nice or not being mean or something but really treating a person as a person not a means to an end so this cashier is not just the means by which i get my stuff out of the store and pay for things i can't use a person that way I need to respect their personhood and in some way we're always engaged in a project together uh, I'm actually helping, and I should appreciate the fact that a store is employing a person as a cashier. Uh, they have a certain need, which is you know, to work. Work is, as we've talked about, a basic human need in itself. They have a need to work and to make some gift of themselves that way. They also have a need for some sustenance, some food for themselves or you know, money for food for themselves, for their family. And so they're working for that. And I'm participating in that project by choosing to go to that store rather than some other store. So I'm supporting them and what they're doing in that way. And they're supporting me in the fact that I want to purchase this thing and make this exchange of goods and they're uh, mediating that for me. So we are involved in a kind of project together as two persons in a relationship. Anyway, so I went into a lot of stuff there, but just to, I just want to plant some seeds of thoughtfulness. Who are the persons that you engage with and do you treat them as persons? As you say, we're not going to have a you know, a marital relationship with every person that we encounter. There are different, there are appropriately different levels of relationship, but none of them can ever devolve to the point of using a person as an object, using a person as a means, uh, or, you know, uh, using a person like a machine, but uh, we want to use persons as persons. So, uh, Going back to your question about now, how do we how do we conceive this relationship with God? He clearly gives us something. He pours out his whole life for us, and uh, Jesus gives us every last drop of blood we could say, and he is continually loving us. How do we love him in return? How do we respond to that love? And, and in a certain sense, what I heard you say is like. Do we matter to him? Do, do our actions matter to him? Can we actually serve him in a way that makes a difference? And it made me think immediately of a, a beautiful little book, uh, not so little book, a 
pretty substantial book, but very readable by Father Michael Gately. It was actually his first book. He's become very popular for 33 Days to Morning Glory and 33 Days to Merciful Love. And I don't know how many other 33 Days thing he has. Uh, also, the second greatest story ever told about John Paul II and Divine Mercy. And he's done a, a, uh, some writing that's become very popular. But his first book was called Consoling the Heart of Jesus. And how do we console the heart of Jesus? And we can think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was agonizing, his agony in the garden. And at the end, the angels came and consoled him. And he wanted his apostles to console him. He asked Peter, James, and John to stay close to him and then was ultimately critical of them and said, could you not stay awake? one hour. You know, he woke them up a couple of times and they couldn't stay with him. They weren't able to stay with him and console him. So there's this idea in the gospel of consoling him. Of course, his mother and uh, St. Joseph, her husband, took care of him and consoled him as a child. And uh, their love for him made a difference to him. And certainly he received a great deal and was open to receive it he was supported by women who traveled with them and supported them out of their own uh, means. And he received that support. And he said, you know, my food is to do the will of my father. I have food of which you do not know. And was speaking about the kind of consolation it was for him to minister to the woman at the well. His apostles were so surprised they had gone into the town to buy food and they came back and he wasn't even hungry because he had been consoled, fed, we could say, by the encounter with the woman at the well. So in an amazing way, God, who certainly doesn't need us, objectively speaking, God existed before us and he exists without us. He is actually existence itself. He doesn't need us in the conventional sense, but he has made himself needy. He has made himself vulnerable to us so that it's possible for us to accept him and it's possible for us to reject him. He has limited his own power by giving us free will. And so it does matter to him whether we use that free will to respond to him or not. He won't force us because he's true to himself and he's not going to take back that gift of free will. He won't force us. And so for us to freely choose him matters to him. And he is loved, consoled by that. So our love for him does matter. And we can touch the heart of God in that sense. Uh, he longs for us. He waits for us. He, you know, the, the image of the father of the prodigal son is a beautiful one for us to think about. When the son came into view, it means the father was looking for him. It mattered to him that the son was gone, and it mattered to him that the son returned. And Jesus uses that as an image of God, of the heavenly father, and his love for us. So the father actually humbles himself to run out and meet the son as, as soon as he can, runs out to him, to embrace him and to honor him, bring him back into the home, welcome him home. And so, so that teaches us something. Now, this is where we get into something that's a little bit counterintuitive. How is the father consoled by the prodigal son? He's consoled when the son comes home. 
He's consoled when the son gives him the chance to love him and take care of him again. And that's counterintuitive because we might think, oh, so he's taken on the burden of that son again. Now he has to uh, humble himself and he has to, uh, you know, give him this banquet and he, and he's got, you know, he, that helps him, that consoles him. Yeah. That's the amazing thing is that God has this mercy for us that he really wants to give us. What hurts him is when he can't give it to us because we won't receive it. What delights him is when we, he can give it to us because we will receive it. Our willingness to receive God's mercy is consoling to him. What's painful for him is when we try to do it on our own without him. So St. Therese had this insight and she said, it's like the father has pent up mercy for us. So we can imagine when we sin, the father's heart fills up with a little bit more mercy, a little more blood, you could say, the kind of blood, which is mercy. And every time we sin, his heart fills with more mercy. And it just keeps filling up until we receive it. And then he can pour it out. And so St. Therese has this idea. She says, well, it hurts him to have so much mercy built up that he can't give out. He has this pent up mercy. And so she makes this offering of herself and says, well, I'll be a victim of his merciful love. I will accept all the mercy that other people aren't accepting. She's very clever. And so we have this example of how we can console the heart of Jesus simply by receiving his mercy, by letting him love us. That consoles him. And, you know, of course, these images like the image of a parent, even at a human level, we understand that parents suffer more from their children not letting them love them, not letting them help them. And so uh, in the same way that parents, human parents do, good parents, loving parents at their best, uh, so also God is that way that we can console him by letting him love us, by receiving the love that he has for us. So that's that's so many points to go from there. So, yeah, and, and you can see that 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 interties with all of it. That that there has to be two members, just as relationship, one that wants to receive the help, one who wants to to be actively engaged, rather than than shutting out and, and disappearing. And at the same time. God's not just stepping in and, and fixing everyone's problems. He He's allowing us to fail. Said in other ways, he gave us free will. He's not in there trying to make sure that nothing ever bad happens to us, but rather letting us live in reality and learning consequences. And as you were, were discussing this, um, the, the prodigal son analogy uh, parable, a thought was coming to me because the the starting point, unless I'm missing what you just told me, the starting point was simply coming back to God, returning to God, and and the way that that I'm understanding the the prodigal son reference you're making here with God literally being the father and the prodigal son, society being the one who left, who wanted to take all of the benefits of of life and disappear, 
And because they were away from God, they didn't know how to do it right. And things got really bad. But the part of it that was hitting me is the other son who stayed and tried doing everything and then got very upset that God was happy when, when the essentially the sinner returned. And I think of that in my own, you know, obviously it's anecdotal cause it's a, it's a, it's just one building, one parish that there is a certain, well, we've been here forever. We should be the ones in charge doing it our way and not letting in outside thoughts or ideas. It's, it's, this is how we've always done it. And going along those lines, it has to be that way. And to continue in, in the parable, you know, the, the father tells the, the congregation is, unless I'm making this reference incorrectly, that he was always here and willing to do it for us. We just didn't know how to ask correctly. So with this part of this podcast goal being to bring people closer to God, um, we, we spent a lot of time talking about returning to the father. But for those that are being the, the son that didn't leave, the son that, that didn't leave church and, and is trying to stay there working the fields for him, um, that part normally gets glossed over whenever you're talking about it. And we focus so much on the happiness that God accepts as sinners coming back to him. As at the end of the day, most of us are, all of us are sinners. Um, but when I look at the totality of people who are trying to work the fields, trying to, to stay within, within the prism that God has built for us, um, and they feel slighted because of how quickly God is willing to give his mercy to those who come back. I wanted to to spend some time thinking about that because just because you're out working at fields doesn't mean that you have the best relationship you can. You know, I mean, obviously you see people that are still married, but it's not as good as it could be um, to, to keep it on the, on the mortal plane. And I wanted to see if we can have a conversation about that portion. Yeah, that's a great point. When, when we look at the parable of the prodigal son, there are those two directions. When we don't feel, when we don't receive the Father's love, we either give up and leave, or we work harder and try to earn it. And in both cases, we have to learn to receive the Father's love as a free gift. So it's, a, it's not something we earn. Sometimes we earn the, we deserve the opposite. And yet his love is a free gift. As long as we have the delusion, the illusion that we've earned it and we are owed it, then we get ourselves into trouble. And that's kind of the older son who's out in the field. He's, he's working for it. He, he thinks he deserves it, but he doesn't really know the heart of the father. And uh, the father goes out. He, has a, he actually has a great opportunity to discover the heart of the father in that encounter when the prodigal son comes home and the older brother hears the celebration and then the father realizes he's not there and he goes out to him again, humbling himself and the older son, even in expressing his anger, it's not the worst thing. They, they're finally having a conversation that they should have had years ago. Why didn't the younger, why didn't the older son ever tell him these expectations? Why, why didn't he tell him his disappointments? Why didn't he come to him earlier? And so it actually, that itself is a very fruitful conversation. If the older son was after venting his anger, 
willing to hear what the father said and willing to humble himself. The father was humble enough to go out to him. Was the older son humble enough to come in and celebrate the younger son's return? And then learn to ask. Uh, the idea that we can earn grace, for example, or we can earn God's help, or it's like, well, I've been to you know I've been to mass every Sunday, so I deserve this miracle. Like, no, you don't. Uh, I I've been to mass every Sunday, so I deserve a good job. I deserve a good salary. I deserve a, a good. No, no, you don't. That's not the deal. We're not. It's not a. Uh, a monetary and economic exchange. You know, we're, we're not like trading goods. I, I do something for you. You do something for me. That's again, a kind of transactional relationship, which is not very deep and, and is borderline sinful that we're really treating God like a, a slot machine rather than another free person that we can, whom we can relate with. He wants to he wants to reveal his heart to us and not have us just, you know, try to earn something. But uh, especially if we're particularly capable, particularly successful, uh, disciplined, reliable, you know, it's easy to fall into this kind of trap that we try to earn God's love. And uh, you can't, can't buy me love, can't earn love. It's, uh, it's not possible. We have to accept it as a free gift, accept it as one who doesn't deserve it, but is chosen and loved anyway. And that makes us feel very indebted. And so we tend to avoid that. We, we don't want to be a recipient of a free gift. We want to be in control and have the idea that if I work X amount, I get X, out, X back for it. You know, So I, I spend three weeks at church, and so I deserve whatever, you know, God to do this for me. And that's not love. Then it's forced. And that's not, uh, yeah, it's, it's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, I, I, I'm sure that, that there's a, there's an element of, of that out there that just says, I, I, I've put it out there. I, I should get something back. Cause in the constructs of how most of us are raised, that's, that's it. You know, um, I, from the time you're little, I, I do the chores. I don't get yelled at. So that's a, the, the, that's, that's the training we get from the beginning. Then, you know, I go to job, I cut the grass, I then get money that I can do whatever I want with. And it's that conversation about expectations that so many of us don't have for, for whatever reasons. And I guess the, the, the next logical question is, how do we have that type of conversation with God? Um, and I, I know that there's not a whole lot of time left in this particular episode, but just to how do we have that conversation? Because the longer things go without setting expectations, the more anxiety that gets created. You, you think that you're working, you're going to get X on the back end, while the guy who you're working for thinks that you're only getting what you're getting now. And there is no magical bonus at the end of the rainbow. It can create a lot of fr- you know, frustration and anger and as well as angst along the way. So with that being said, how, how do we have that conversation with God so that we get on the same page? Because I feel that there's a lot of people that treat heaven as that transactional relationship. I keep doing good things here, keep coming to church. Well, then I get a better seat in the heaven. You know, I get that corner office. So that's uh, I think that there's a, that mentality is 
is is pretty precedent or pretty rampant rather. So like to to end up the conversation we have in the day about that. Well, one starting place that we can think about is uh, gratitude for a number of things we take for granted, like existence. What did you do to earn your existence? Yeah, right, nothing. Uh, how could we possibly earn our existence? We've got no quid pro quo for that. So God has already given us infinitely more than we have ever deserved. And so uh, when we realize that, there's there's a, a fundamental imbalance. And in in essence, we talked about this in our virtue series, you know, religion, the virtue of religion is giving, is is an extension of the virtue of justice. Justice is to give to each what he deserves. The virtue of religion is to give God what he deserves, which we can't possibly do. We can't possibly repay him for the good he has done for us. We can't possibly give him what he deserves, but we can give him worship. And uh, worship comes from worth, worthship. We can, we can acknowledge what he's worth. We can make him the, the most important thing in our lives, the highest value. We can make him the highest worth in our lives. And that honors him in a way that is appropriate. And so when we just look at that, first of all, when we say, gosh, he's already given me infinitely more than I deserve. And so uh, let me just be grateful for that, worship him for that. And then uh, we can go from there. Well, so then all of our work becomes a response instead of it being uh, something to force God's hand to force his response, our work becomes a response. Why do I work? Because God has loved me so much that he created me. And furthermore, he has loved me so much that he's redeemed me and forgiven me. I can't ever pay that back. So everything I do, I offer for that reason. Oh, and then he wants to give me more? Wow, that's amazing. I'm so grateful. <laughs> it's a much better attitude, just adjusting our, our attitude of why we're doing what we're doing, losing this idea of, I worked so hard for this. I deserve whatever. No, we're already so indebted. We're, we're, we can't even pay back the debt, let alone have positive capital with which we can negotiate a better settlement. <laughs> we don't ever have positive capital over and against God. He, uh, he's given us everything. You know, when you say it like that, it makes it sound pretty obvious, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so we definitely thank you uh, for, for having to do this episode with us today, Father. Um, we'll be with everyone here again next week. And we thank you guys for spreading the word and growing. Um, we're, we're, we're doing two things. We're, we're spreading in the new cities, um, thanks to people leaving reviews and doing the star rating. And then the penetration within cities, we're growing out dramatically. And that's from people giving word of mouth. So we thank everyone for your way that you're participating and helping us grow. We ask you to continue to do so. Thank you guys very much. We'll be with you again next week.